what is your shower routine? Mm. I do one thing that I thought was weird at first. Mm-hmm. Um, found out a lot of people do it is I brush my teeth in the shower. Oh, so I get in. Um, the weirder thing I do though. Mm-hmm. Well, I brush my teeth in the shower. I know people do seem to think that's weird. People get kind of. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, like same thing with like wiping asses and stuff. And right. Like, I guess there's like so many different ways. I do it sideways. Right. Yep. So but, one other thing I do, and it's weird because I have a, such a strange explanation for it, of course, is I really like to sit down mm-hmm. and like aim the aim the shower in like general like lower chest, crotchal lower legs area. Depending mm-hmm. on like the season and whatnot. So you sit on the floor and you aim it at your dick area. Yeah, it's just always involved. It yep. And and just sit there and I'll play on my phone. Just kind of relax. You play with your phone in the yeah. shower? Oh yeah. What the fuck, man? They're they're fucking water resistant. Well yeah, I know, but still like Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You do anything? How do you wipe your ass? All right. So, like, do how do you go? Why do, do you, you go think, from like? Do you go from like? You do thing. hair, then your face, and then your body, and then like you know your legs. Like, how how do you do that? Then you your crotch, and then your ass, or like, do you do your ass first? Or? Okay, I okay, I'll admit I am one of those dudes that everything is body wash. <laughs> oh, ooh. <laughs> Not conditioner. Not conditioner. Wash. I'll say that everything is soap. body wash. Bar soap. No, no, no. I mean, like soap, like mm-hmm. like uh, or not soap, but shampoo. Yeah. I will use shampoo as body wash. What the fuck, uh-huh. dude? I don't care. I use bar soap. The fuck's I have the to use bar soap. I don't know why. Do if f- if not, my skin feels like not slimy, but it's like oily. I do prefer bar soap. Uh-huh. Don't get me wrong. They make but some if I'm in nice a hurry, ones, like those Squatch bars and stuff. They're nice. Yeah. See, here's the deal, though, is when I ha- when I have a bar of soap, I, I get intimate with it. You know, I lather oh, that bitch okay. up. Right? Yeah. Right. Then you stick if, it in if your I just hole. don't have time for that, I'm just I'm just taking the, the soap going all down through. Now, one thing, though, is I am guilty for theft of very um, expensive conditioner. Uh huh. And that's for that's for my beard. Oh, like tailor made conditioner. Yeah, for my your hair. Condition. Well, we're not there I, yet. She got fancy shit. Oh, so yeah. okay, so you lay down are a monster. Uh, yeah, you use body wash for your whole body or shampoo for your whole body, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, like it's a soap, fucking soap, heathen. Yeah. Do you like? Do you wipe your? What do you wipe first? What do you wash first? Like your chest. Yeah, I start you up top down. and I oh, go down. Oh, you just down. go yeah. move up and down. And then, like, do you, like, go into the crevices of your butt? Fuck yeah. Or, like, okay. Oh, yeah. So do you do your balls in, in that first? Okay, okay. Or I got one for you. Do you use a rag? Can, I got one for you. Okay. Okay, I got a really good. If you took my finger mm-hmm. and somehow could have me rub a random butthole, right? Yeah. But one of them was my butthole, and I just couldn't feel it. I could butthole. tell it was my butthole. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
Um, I don't have any like I don't have anything weird going on there where I'm like, oh, I know where this. But like, I yeah. I could definitely identify. So my do bottle. you like do I'm you, I'm intimate enough with it? You wash you know, your bottles first. It. Do you use a rag? Mm. Or a or scrubby cloth. thing, wash like, cloth. Or, yeah, or a cloth or a loofah thing, like one of I don't use a washcloth, and my girlfriend thinks I'm a monster. <laughs> but we'll get to me. I I mean I cannot. Like uh-huh. if I'm on vacation or if I'm at like a weird hotel, sometimes I'll use a washcloth. Yeah, like mm. I'll use them at a, I'll use them at a hotel. I mean, my shower hotel. routine changes. I've, I will definitely stay at weird hotels. So mm. okay, so yeah. I mean. You use a rag. That's what we call it down in Texas. Rag. A rag. My wash rag. rag. My wash rag. Up here, not wash. No, up here, up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That okay. is such a Pittsburghese so, thing. But I, and now, do you brush your teeth first or last? Hold on, there is an order to that. I know, and I do do. I mean, I do have an order. To I'm that. sure everybody will, has their own shower routine. If, I generally keep it the same almost every single time. I brush or I brush my teeth first mm-hmm. because it's the first thing I kind of do after I'm like done getting mm-hmm. up and doing doing my uh, scrolling through TikTok. Yeah, and talking to your dumbass. So it takes uh, you a long time to. Uh, oh, take it takes a shower, me forever huh? to shower. I can definitely empty the hot water tank. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's bad. It's he takes a lot of cold showers. I'll take you yeah. in a tub for an hour before he showers. All right, do I want to go first or do I want to ask you? All right, Aziza. Z, what is your shower routine? Um, I she shower takes, at night. She takes okay, only at night? Oh. I prefer at night. I hate showering you don't, in the morning. Do you have a preference? I prefer in morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I like to shower at night, uh-huh. get into a bed, and it relaxes. Yeah, okay. So, like, I be you use body wash. Long. Yeah, no, of course. Like, like, I have specific soap. Do you have like yeah. vagina wash? Like my no. girlfriend has like 13 different things she uses. No. So I get Jeez. Function of Beauty and I get the hair, uh-huh. the shampoo, conditioner, hair mask for extra conditioning when needed. And then I do, it has like tailored soap. So to me and him, that Send just sounded like you were speaking. The name, huh? you, were yeah, just, you were just speaking like ancient Egyptian to me and Nick. She yeah, gets fancy well, shit. So, like, and do you don't like use like a, a face wash, like a specific I've, face wash? I have like, a tailored face wash also for me, uh-huh. for my acne skin type. Okay. Because, you know. And you only use like one type of, do you use body wash or do you use like bar soap? Uh, it's body wash. So body I use a washcloth wash? or a loofah. Okay. And you don't do anything weird in the shower? No. Mm-mm. I watch TV. Mm. That's about it. Oh, okay. So it takes you a long time too. Oh no, I'm I'm like she's five, faster than me. Faster five, ten minutes maximum. Oh, but she ten watch, minutes. She'll ten watch. minutes for is me because that's... I have to do like deep conditioning in my hair, so I have to uh-huh. stand there. But you don't do that minutes. every time. No. But she fucking enjoys it. Like, hold the oh, fuck God. on. When like, I can get left alone and that door doesn't swing open and there's knew, a fucking dog poking that. their you head in me. there. Mm. Or, like, someone coming in to look at uh-huh. my boobs. Or, like, little boys coming in the bathroom going, Mom, I have to poop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I look at, I look at, I, I open. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, legit. Yours I'll open it real and I hear nowhere. Nowhere. go, ch- ch- And you brush your teeth in front of the sink. My question is this. My question is this. Is my thing is I need to make eye contact to find out if I have consent, you know? Oh, okay. So I, when I open the door and open the thing, I make my eye contact with her eyes first. 
right? Yeah. Then I go down to the shinies. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> just so we're just so we're square internets. Okay. Right. That's the order of operation. All right. Well aware my perifs are getting a wide gander, but that is the that is the ad area. Okay. Okay. I gotta pay my two ninety nine, get my yeah. permission slip. Then the oh. area opens up. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's how it works. All right. At least in the ADHD brain. Uh, I think you may like you took special ed classes in school, didn't you? Absolutely. They were way easier. Um, So (laughs) mine is kind of weird, but not the same. It's about the same as Nick's, I guess. I do have a specialized uh, shampoo and conditioner that I use every four days. I can't. I can't. Because I don't know if I do longer. My hair gets too greasy. If I do it too or soon then it gets all dried out and yeah frizzy. Winter, winter time i skip yep. the condition i had to learn how to do mm-hmm. the hair stuff yeah i use bar soap and only bar soap is it a specific bar soap or just um any bar soap i usually i like to use like the bar soap that has like like i i got these ones i can't remember the brand but it was like pine tar bar soap oh oh, oh. yeah awesome i loved it yeah. it made my whole I- shower like brown <laughs> Um, it's it's like the I got you one similar. I was it was like, like the Sasquatchy one. Off yeah, of but it's not it, Sasquatch. I was gonna bring that up. So. The Sasquatch is too expensive for me. That's why I won't spend money on it. I will say this: um, I get Dove for men a lot. I don't oh, go for a while. Yeah. When I go out shopping, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't go out shopping. Yeah. So some like around the you holidays, don't go with especially. Her? No, Man, we can't. Oh, do you know no. how long shopping trips would be if you really? Like I like to go with them. It's and I, well, I also we have like to divide and conquer. I'm really good with grocery shopping too. So okay, so I, we also do a lot of. I order. I order the stuff and then just pick it up. Like yeah, everything. Like oh, okay. I'm. We're very big on the order yeah, it to the yeah. house or order it to get fucking delivered or picked up. But I'm okay. ridiculous though. Like, let's be clear. Like when when she does that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's okay. The house is stocked. Whatever costs, whatever. All right. But when we go to the store together, mm-hmm. that means that my re- my refrigerator is going to be jam packed, oh. and every cupboard is going Nikki's to be like a kid, big With kid. Uh huh. Okay. Not so that's meals, why just I all the wide variety of different forms of snackage. Yeah. We could easily, we definitely do two carts because a normal order in the house two is, every is a time. cart. No, no, yeah. no. A normal if, order. If I did like uh, a full like yeah monthly, technically like three week grocery mm-hmm. run, mm-hmm. it's one full cart. It's one full one cart. Full shopping cart. But if I go to, it's a whole nother cart. I get fast yeah. food more than I actually eat at home. Well, I don't get That's all not snack good, I know. shit. I don't get all snack shit either, though. I'll get mm-hmm. stuff that lasts. Like, so, like, I'll get the whole case of so many things. Yeah. Just so that it goes in the pantry, little thing, and it lasts, uh-huh. or I, we forget about it, and Ella eats it all. Oh. That's, yeah, I forget about it, and then Ella's just like, yes, I'll, th- <laughs> I'll eat one. Because she always knows that the rule is, is that don't eat the last one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's she'll come and times. ask though. She'll like when it gets oh, the last one. When it gets cool. the last one, then she's like, yeah. She'll call if we're not home yet, or she'll come up and she'll be like, um, this is the last one. Of yeah. Your well, things. that's good. Can and I I'm have a, it? And, and I'm an awesome dad. And I go, 
Yes, yes, you fucking oh, okay. can. She's so, gotten the last one so many times. Yeah. So to finish like, up yeah, with my shower routine, I oh, have to take it. Shower routine. I have to right. take it before I leave. It doesn't matter if it's in the evening or in the morning. If I'm going to like work or anywhere, I have to do it before I leave, where I feel disgusting. So quote on. So yours is quote unquote a morning in the morning. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, That's and then weird. I use the shampoo, the specialized shampoo. I use the body wash. Um, I don't use a rag. I know that's kind of weird. I'd also brush my teeth in the shower, but I do that last. But you're also... And I always do my face and my ears last, too. I don't know why. I just always have to do it the same way. We got off subject of that, too. I do shampoo, or I, I'll brush teeth first, uh-huh. because then any of the excess stuff in my yeah. beard, then shampoo, washy, washy, but then... That's when I gotta steal the conditioner. Oh, that's when it's all weird. nice and crispy. And yeah, dry and I gotta. I well, if I'm washing it. my hair, I start with my hair. I shampoo it, wash it out, mm-hmm. then I put the conditioner in so it can sit in there. Yeah. Do you clip yours up? Because I clip. I gotta. Nope. I have like a shower clip, so like I condition and then uh, I throw it up, so uh, that way I can like wash everything else no. and shave and do anything. No, else I'm I just. I do. just do like this the whole time. I guess kind of let my hair hang. <laughs> I also I don't remember. I also started I don't remember doing it because care like long hair. I I notice I use less conditioner mm-hmm. flipping the ends up. Sorry. <laughs> I yeah. Use, I use less conditioner by putting it in and then clipping the ends up into into here because yeah. I notice that it soaks up. I the use extra two like nice load <laughs> sizes to wash my hair. So the front part and then the rest. That's how I gauge. Yeah. Whether or not Semen I need a haircut loads. on yep. how much shampoo like a I nice feel I big need. load that you would normally take to the face. Yep. <laughs> um, oh, and yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it for me, though. Do you guys wash in between your toes? Yeah, not always. Okay. I, well, I'll explicitly do it if I have to wear my boots or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if I like, like got nasty or sweaty or oh, whatever. Yeah, absolutely, but I'll my, take. Most of the time I get down there because just because. But so for the time, though, it takes me about four minutes, five minutes. I've timed mm-hmm. myself multiple times, five minutes in and out. Okay. It was it was because of the military. They right. Because we used to have to take like 45 second showers and shit. Mm, I can do it. I can do my normal whole routine in like 15 In 15. Without- what if you didn't use the phone? Yeah, I'm saying without, that's, without, that's, without, that's his normal routine is 15. Without, without, 15, without the phone, 15. What the fuck, dude? Do you like beat off too? No, like, <laughs> no. It's, it's just, you're just like, listen, hold on. He's just a fucking slob. I want to be clear. I want to be clear. Everybody, everybody has always assumed that the, my long ass showers has been me jerking off in the shower. And I want to, I want to just be, I swear to you. Lord strike me down I like, do not beat off in the shower that, Like I'm already halfway through <laughs> And it's been like three minutes Nick what the fuck I'm defending I'm just defending like, the fact that I don't jerk off in the shower Like yeah I get it So then what the fuck are you doing for so long You're just standing there like <laughs> I don't know but it takes them so long Listen you want to hear something real fucked up Listen what? this is going to be sound so bad I've spent so much time In our bathroom in our in our shower uh-huh. that I've found in the tile that there's a there's a repeating pattern in all the tiles, right? 
Mm-hmm. But there's like a little face. And it's in different places mm-hmm. on each tile all around. And it's not like it's not like one of those weird I'm not saying like I see faces in the bathroom. Yeah. Like I can clearly point out like I'll fucking take a picture of it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see like eyes, nose, face, like overall head. It looks like a weird little character thing, but it it's this little face. And I'm like, I just look at it sometimes. And I'm like, it's not good enough to like try to draw it and like use it as like a character or anything. I'm just fucking tired of looking at it. <laughs> I really am. So we then, needed, is that when you decided we needed a new house? Right. That's what we. Oh. <laughs> I'm tired of our bathroom. <laughs> Listen, because that's one of my fears, though, is that the next bathroom, mm-hmm. I'm going to find something weird like that in. And I'll be like, oh, fuck. Here no, we go listen, again. I plan on sub white subway tile in that fucking bathroom. I'm going to find like, a weird oh, something. I'm going to find something and be like. Huh, I want it to be cows, by the way. Cows? I want Highland like Moo cows for my bathroom. White subway tiles on everything. My like, kitchen is Christine. cows because my mother, before she moved out. I'm just saying. Highland cows. Okay. Well, this is Mark. And this is Nick. And I'm Z. And this is the Guns Guns and Gory Gory Podcast. Podcast. Hey! Guns and Gory! So today, we're talking about one of youth my pastor, favorite... Youth Pastor Mark. Youth Pastor Mark. Youth, you, so today... Wait, wait, wait. Youth Pastor Mark. What? Youth Pastor Mark. What you got there? What is This that? is one of my favorite books. What happens if I get in? Get out of here, Nick. What What's the fuck? Book? Why are you touching What's me? What's that book? It's... Oh, I see it now. I was trying to so see... So we're talking about one of my favorite subjects. I know that sounds kind of weird. Uh, That's not a Bible. Not this one. We're going to get here at some point, I promise. It says, Cannibals and Evil Cult Killers. And I'm actually using this book tonight, like, for everything. So, so technically, we can call that the Guns and Gory Bible for time. Um, yeah, this is Marky's Bible. <laughs> I think it would be Guns and Gory's reference material. Reference yes, material. reference material. Shit so, that's already um, been we're done. Gonna, so there's a lot of stuff you can do on cannibals. So we're just going to hit a couple. And I know we're going to make another episode about this stuff. There's we a recipe section. Make. Right? Uh, no. Damn. <laughs> I um, want that book. So we're going to talk about some cannibals. Um, you know, actually, people seem to like the Donner Party stuff. Yeah? Yeah. I got a bunch of likes on the one. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. But uh, yeah. So park bench. I want. I'm talking about so bad. Five, six, five. We're talking about five. So we're gonna talk about a culture. We're gonna talk about a family, and then we're gonna do a couple just like the real crazy, crazy ones. Uh, Let's see. Wait. Weirdies. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, serial killers. Um, there's some consensual stuff, because you know sometimes cannibalism is consensual. I didn't. I didn't know that. Wait, wait, wait. It's not illegal. Wait, we have to say it together. It's not illegal. We have to say it together. Not like explicitly illegal. Say what? That cannibalism is can be consensual. We need to say it together. Okay. You ready? Three, two, one. Cannibalism Cannibalism can can be consensual. consensual.
You heard it here, folks. So do you guys have anything you want to add before we start with the cannibalism? Mm. No. I think I'm good. Okay. I think I'm good, we'll too. We'll start. Um, first one is the Aztecs. I know a lot of people know of the Aztecs. Uh, they're very famous for their ritual sacrifices, but apparently there have been studies and cannibalism was also kind of a thing mm. a little bit. The earliest records show that the Aztecs migrated from the north into the Valley of Mexico as early as the 12th century AD. They were rather abject civilization who were forced to live on the worst lands in the valley. They were a poor, ragged race who ate rats, snakes, and stole food, but above all, sacrificed human flesh to their gods. They were considered just too wild and nasty by the neighboring tribes, and consequently were driven from one place to another. In 1300, the Tenoquas... Oh my god, I just realized I don't know how to say this Oh yes, more things Mark can't pronounce. Tenoquas, as they were known, escaped to settle on on an island in the middle of Lake Texcoco. It was here that they were to build their city and started to thank their god. Who... Who... <laughs> Listen. Fuck. Can I see it? I want to see it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Texcoco? Nope. Chitle. I'm going to let Nick start These reading those. Day. For his. I think. They started to thank their God for his assistance with human sacrifices. The city they built was called Tenochtitlan, or the place of the Tanakas. Tanakas? I guess it would be Tanakas. T-E-N-O-C-H. I know Tenochtitlan. No, I know that one. Because I remember back in like school, our teacher was Tenochtitlan. Like, she like made sure we remembered the fucking pronunciation. It was very hard to build Tenochtitlan because the Aztecs only had a very small piece of land in the surrounding marshes. The Aztecs made the swampy shallow lake into a habitable place by piling up mud from the lake bottom. Terraforming. Terraforming. Nice. These mud islands were used as their city foundations. To start with, they built a few thatched mud huts and some small temples. Next, they built causeways and bridges to connect the city to the mainland. They dug canals and lined them with stones so that people could easily move around. By 1376, the city was growing quickly and people came from miles around to live in the city of Tenochtitlan. The Aztecs slowly became more powerful and more skilled at defending themselves, although they had no real form of military strategy. At least half of the Aztec population were farmers and they worked on the reclaimed areas of the lake which they covered with soil and then cultivated the city itself consisted of a large number of priests and craftspeople and soon Tenochtitlan was becoming a true urban center the Aztecs had two clearly differing social classes at the bottom were the oh here's another hard word <laughs> mesales <laughs> or commoners and at the top the pili or nobility. Yeah. P-I-L-L-I. Like Pili, right? Yeah, Pili. Pile. Pile. Sounds like something you'd get at Chipotle. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> All male children went to school to learn history and the religion of the Aztecs. 
and the art of war and fighting. Women were regarded as the subordinate of men in Aztec society and were required to behave with chastity and high moral standards. You know, I know a couple guys who, like, still think that's, like, a thing these days. Like, they're like, you have to obey me, you know? Fucking, it's 2023. Do you feel like, why aren't you in the bathroom making a sandwich? The bathroom part. (laughs) Because, uh... I don't need a sandwich. I already had one. Oh, she was eating a sandwich earlier. Yeah, she I didn't need, even offer us any. You're a if heathen. If I need a sandwich. A fucking heathen. Just like um, the Aztec. Yeah. Scottish and Welsh, bitch. <laughs> Aztec laws were simple and yet harsh. Almost every crime was punishable by death, while minor offenses involved corporal punishment or mutilation. As an example, if they were found guilty of slander, they would lose their lips. How does one just lose lips? They just cut them the fuck off, bro. Their religion consisted of a very complicated structure due to the fact that most of it was inherited from people they conquered. They were dominated by three gods. God damn it. Huitzilopochtl, hummingbird wizard. Tezcatlipoca, smoking mirror. Or Quetzcoatl. I know that one. Um, I think I still said it wrong, though. <laughs> Sovereign plumed serpent. Under these three dominant gods were an infinity of other gods. They had a lot of gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they, you know, they conquer somebody and then like, oh, I guess we're, you're our gods now, too. Like, they're trying to collect them all like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> The overwhelming aspect of Aztec religious life, however, was their predominance of human sacrifice. Although it is known that this was practiced throughout the Mesoamerican world, the Tecaca, Tecaca, Tecaca. <laughs> it sounds like you should put your shirt tecaca. up over your head, put uh, your hands up like Tecaca. <laughs> Stop. Don't make me do it. I don't want you to. <laughs> the Tataka <laughs> The Tataka performed it at a scale never seen before and indeed since. The Aztecs believed that their gods would only give things to human beings if they were constantly nourished by human beings. To satisfy their gods, the Aztecs would draw their own blood by piercing their tongues, ears, extremities, or even genitals. I mean people do that now though. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say <laughs> however that one. Aztec theologians also developed the idea that the gods would be best nourished if they were given the living hearts of sacrificed captives. This theology led to widespread fighting in search of sacrificial victims, both captured in war and paid as a tribute by the conquered people. Um, they actually had these things called like the flower wars, where they would like attack their enemies and withdraw with as many of them as they could. Like, you know, they wouldn't, like, got dominate and kill everybody. they just get a bunch of them to bring back as sacrifices. Some <laughs> so of these... just roll up and steal some people. Yep. But they weren't going to use them for much. Just, you, you know, know, kill them. Some of them. these sacrifices were small, involving the giving up of a slave to a minor god. Others were spectacular, involving hundreds and even thousands of captives. But no matter what the size, the actual sacrifice was always carried out in the same manner. The victim would be restrained by four priests on an altar 
which would be placed at the top of a pyramid structure or raised temple. The officiant then made an incision just below the rib cage and pulled out the victim's living heart. Next, the heart was burned and the corpse was pushed down the deep, steep steps. If the captive was noble or had been extremely brave, then his body would be carried down these steps. Even more disturbing than these human sacrifices was the practice of ritual cannibalism that was carried out at these ceremonies. After the hearts were removed and the bodies tossed down the temple steps, the limbs were removed and later cooked. As, as repugnant as cannibalism is to us today, back then to the Aztecs, cooked human bodies were looked upon as great delicacies. Oh yeah, give me that thigh. The favored parts of the body were the hands and thighs, and it has been said that the Aztec emperor Moctezuma was reported to have been partial to cooked thighs served with tomatoes mm. and chili pepper sauce. He was a thigh man. Mm-hmm. He liked that dark Akuma. meat. Although this thought might turn our stomachs, it must be also remembered that the Aztecs had no domestic livestock from which to obtain their protein, and so this ritual sacrifice was a way for the Aztec royalty to obtain vital nutrients. Thus, in the Aztecs, we can see a mixture of religion and nourishment, which resulted in human sacrifice. See, now there are also um, conflicting things online. Um, you know, it, there, it definitely was practiced, but like to what extent is what yeah. they're not sure of. Hmm. Like, were they just like, did fucking Montezuma just like, he's like, hmm. I want some thighs and just fucking go and kill a bunch of people I so that he could eat. I thought it was, um, it was specific times of like the year or at times of great, um, like hardships, like if crops weren't doing good mm-hmm. and they felt like they needed to satiate the gods of some, yeah, some yeah, form or the yeah. Other. Well, they so, had all kinds of different reasons why they would sacrifice. Yeah. So it was definitely, I think more scheduled and then, and they're like, oh, so that he was like, oh, I get thighs tonight. So like Montezuma's revenge, you know what that is? Yeah, I um, I got it when I was in Punta Cana, cause uh, I chew ice. Oh, and the ice isn't filtered water. Yeah, so, so you shit your brains out. And I, it was just a little bit of poop. Like okay. I have a pretty pretty strong stomach otherwise, so it was just it just yeah. I didn't trust a fart for like yeah. two days. It was all. So do you think the Aztecs ate some motherfuckers? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They were pretty brutal. I wanted I the hands, when you said hands, like thighs make sense. Mm-hmm. No, the finger meat's supposed to be nice and tender. Ooh. You didn't know I, that? I, you too. I would assume you, mine was nasty. Ooh. I mean, is it weird that I like cannibal? I, I don't like cannibals. I don't want to eat personally. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's crazy to like learn about. So, uh, shout out to Kenny Hotz. Uh, he did a show called Triumph of. Who the fuck are you pointing uh, at? The camera, bro. Oh yeah. Uh, he did a show called uh, Triumph of Will, and uh-huh. one of them was like a cannibal-related episode. I won't like go into the whole thing of it. Please go watch it. I believe he has it available on yeah. YouTube. Um, yeah. But he tries to practice. We'll have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 he basically tries to practice cannibalism, but in the most legal way possible. So he eats his toenails? No, no. <laughs> but the extent that he, like the way he goes about it is still pretty, pretty weird. Yeah. So 
I don't know. We'll have to watch it. Give it a watch. It's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, All right. he's a comedian kind of guy. Like he acts and stuff. So this is just a weird show he has. Dusty's Dildo Antique Emporium for the Elderly. If it was made before 1989, we don't have it. Is Grandma having a hard time reaching the perfect spot? Try our Randy Reach Around. Is Pappy upset going in dry? Well, not anymore. Our moisturizing lubrication will do the job. You can also use it on your car. Stop on by and use the discount code Big Daddy Dong to get 25% off your first order. So in this next one, this one always stuck with me. Uh, it's Alexander Sawney Bean. You've yep. probably never heard of him. Say it one more time. Sawney Bean. That was his nickname. So this is like a legend. Um, there, there, Nobody's really sure if it's real or not. There's not like any definite proof but it's like a local legend um and it's even been theorized that the guy who wrote oh what was it treasure island also like wrote this story but i'm not i don't know it's it's kind of up there so this might be true it might not it if anything it's probably like has its roots somewhere but in the book, it's presented as true. So, um, but it's—I mean, a lot of people consider it to be like true. So, the story of Sonny Bean has been recounted over the years, and is about a family who lived in a cave in the early part of the 17th century. For 25 years, this family, against all standards of human decency and morality, chose murder, cannibalism, and incest as their way of life. Alexander Sawney Bean was born in the late 14th century in East Lothian. He was the son of a ditcher and hedger, and initially Bean followed in his father's footsteps. However, he found that hard work and an honest living was not the way he wanted to live, so he fled his family home. So, accompanied by a woman with a similar personality to his own, he went to live in a deep cave at Beninane Head, Near Ballantrae in Allenshire. I think that's in Ireland. Allenshire, Scotland. As soon as she Scotland. Po- as soon as she pulled up pictures, I knew exact I knew mm-hmm. exactly this idea. The cave itself was enormous and penetrated more than a mile into the solid rock. The entrance into the cave was a dark passageway with many tortuous windings, and just a short way in the tunnel was plunged in complete darkness. Twice a day at high tide, several hundred yards of this passage would be flooded which meant that they very rarely got any unwanted visitors, which is probably why they went undiscovered for so many years. Over the years, Bean and his wife had 14 children, and then the 14 children started to mate, which produced more children. And of course, all of these mouths needed feeding. Then Bean and his wife came upon the perfect solution. They robbed passers-by on the Highland roads. Of course, they didn't want to get caught, so they made certain that none of their victims could tell the story by killing them. Then they realized that the people they were robbing and killing had meat on their bones, and meat was food. After they had killed the hapless traveler, they would drag the body back to their cave, dismember it, eat some of the human flesh, and then pickle the rest. The inside of their cave became like a butcher's shop with the slaughtered bodies hung on hooks around the walls, while the bones were stacked in another part of the home. 
and this is how their ever-increasing family survived for more than two decades. More and more people went missing, and soon these abductions created intense fear in the local vicinity. It became an increasing worry that lone travelers seemed to disappear from the quiet country roads without leaving any trace. Although determined efforts were made to try and discover the whereabouts of the bodies, Bean and his family were never found. Their cave was far too deep and complex for anyone to bother to investigate it, and any way nobody suspected that their murderer could possibly live in such a place that was flooded twice a day with water. The Bean way of life seemed to settle into a nice pattern. His wife would have more children and by incest produced a second generation of eight grandsons and 14 granddaughters. Soon the killings and cannibalism became a, just a way of life, a means of surviving. It seems remarkable that so many children obviously running around near the cave that the locals did not become suspicious. Perhaps they did and perhaps they themselves were eaten because it is possible the children regarded any other human being as a source of food. The bean children... The children went after mm -hmm. him. Oh. The children received no form of education and were probably encouraged to join in their parents' occupation as they grew older. Soon the bean gang swelled into a formidable size, and over the years they perfected their art. It appears that although the family was swelling all the time, there was never any shortage of human flesh. Sometimes, despite the salting and pickling process, body parts had to be disposed of due to the fact that it had gone putrid. Soon, pieces of decaying human remains, which had been mysteriously preserved, were being washed up on remote pieces of beach. Since these ghastly objects only consisted of severed limbs or lumps of flesh, they could never be identified. But the authorities realized that they were dealing with something that was far more sinister. The larger the family grew, the more ambitious their attacks became, and on occasions as many as six men and women would be attacked by a dozen or more of Sawney's tribe. Their bodies were always dragged back to the cave and prepared for the larder by the women in the family. No one ever escaped to give even the slightest clue as to who the attackers were. The Beans had a very strategic plan, whereby they would place guards along the road where the attack took place, to cut down anyone who had the audacity to make a run for it. Although it is not known exactly how long the Beans continued their murderous cannibalistic spree, it is estimated that they killed close to 1,000 people before eventually getting caught. The existence of the Bean family was never really known, and several of the innkeepers were even wrongly executed after being accused of committing the crimes. It seemed that the problem would never be resolved, that is, until the Bean family made a clumsy mistake. For the first time in 25 years, the Beans, through bad judgment on their part, allowed themselves to be outnumbered. One night, members of the Bean gang attacked a man and his wife who were riding back along a quiet road from a nearby fair. They seized the woman first, and while they were still struggling, trying to get her husband off his horse, they killed, disemboweled, and got her ready to take back to the cave. The same fate would almost certainly have befallen her husband had the beans not forced, been forced to retreat when the large party of people, also coming back from the fair, arrived unexpectedly on the scene. For the first time in the career, the beans saw themselves at disadvantage and after a brief but violent fight, they scurried back to their retreat with their tails between their legs. This was a serious error of tactics as they had left the mutilated body of the woman behind 
along with plenty of witnesses. The man who was the only person actually to survive a being ambush was taken to the chief magistrate of Glasgow to relate his harrowing tale. At last they had seemed to be making a breakthrough in the hunt for the attackers who apparently didn't stop at murder. It was obvious they lived in the local vicinity and that they were dealing with quite a large group of people. Due to the severity of the case, the magistrate contacted King James VI, who certainly took the matter seriously. He went in person to Ayrshire, Ayrshire, I didn't even say it right the first time, I don't think, Ayrshire, Ayrshire, along with a small army of 400 armed men and a pack of tracker dogs. With the assistance of local volunteers and his army, the king investigated one of the largest manhunts ever known. They searched the entire Ayrshire, con- <laughs> Ayrshire countryside and its coastline, but with no result. Then one day, when they were patrolling the shore, they walked past the partially waterlogged entrance to a cave. The dogs, picking up the swell of death and putrefaction, started baying and howling and tried to get into the dark interior. Cautiously, the pursuers entered the tunnel with flaming torches to help light the way. With their swords at the ready, they wound their way down the narrow, twisting passages until at the end of the mile-deep cave they came across the home of the Bean Cannibal family. By the way, I can't ever, I can't switch um, angles if you're on your phone, Nick. Air? Airshire. Ayrshire. I was getting taco cam footage, but I was going to say. Fair enough. I was going to say. I'm almost done. I know. It was. It, I I imagine it was like the part in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part Two, uh-huh. where they found the subway thing, and they're like, "Oh, oh yeah, man. cool shit." Well, it's it kind of body reminds parts. me of like the hills have eyes. Yeah. Um, they were completely sickened by what they saw. All along the damp walls of the cave were human limbs and pieces of flesh that were hung up like carcasses in a butcher's shop. In various crevices in the cave, they found piles of clothing and valuables, including watches, rings, and various pieces of jewelry. Because they can't eat those. (laughs) Right. In another smaller cave, they found all the bones that had been collected over the 25 years. When they entered the cave, the entire Bean family, all 48 of them, were there in hiding. They knew that there was a large army out looking for them, and they had decided to lie low. The Bean crew did try and fight their way out, but this time there was no escape. They were arrested, and with the king still in attendance, they were marched off to Edinburgh. They were not offered a trial, as the crimes were so horrendous that it was considered they were outside the normal jurisdiction of the law. The prisoners, 27 men and 21 women, all of whom, with the exception of the parents, had been conceived and raised in the cave, were executed the following day. The men were dismembered, their arms and legs cut off while they were still alive just as they had been done to their victims. Then they were left to bleed to death. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. While the women were made to watch. The women were then burned like witches at the foot of great bonfires. It was a fitting end for a truly monstrous family. That's pretty good. Yeah, man. You would think that that would make a better movie. Hold on one second. You would think. I don't know. One second. Ayrshire. Yeah, that's right. Ayrshire. You know, they say it like with some, some umph. 
technically you're supposed to mumble it in Scotland. Do you love juicy crab rangoon? Do you want it hot, fast, and to your door now? Well, download the Gums and Corey Crab Rangoon app. For a large monthly fee, we can get you crab rangoon wherever you are. Public executions, goons, successful baking experiment, give me them goons. Just washed your car and kept all of your clothes on. Celebrate with the Guns and Glory Crab Rangoon app today. Downloadable at the Google Play Store and the App Store. Okay, so this next one is one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard in my life. I actually wrote a metal song about it years ago. Mr. Albert Fish. Oh, Nick Albert Fish. actually specifically requested this. Yeah, he's a particular uh he's a particular type of monster that needs mentioned mm-hmm. and shit like this. Like this is my like Albert Fish is definitely my my answer to why didn't you talk about this? It, not to like podcast mm-hmm. stuff, but like anytime I've ever heard anybody yeah. bring it. Nobody so, ever talks about do this. Do you want to know something? Sure. Of all the true crime that I listen to. Mind you, I only listen to four podcasters, okay? That's a lot, yeah. There's yeah. only four uh-huh. that I religiously listen to that would have done this. Mm-hmm. Never heard of this guy. You've well, never heard of Albert Fish. You know, that's why oh, I, Albert Fish? I, I really, that's kind of strange. people haven't done what? it yet. Wow, and there's like a lot of, maybe it's just because it's so easy. And it's like, Maybe. I hope that's worth. one of their defenses. Well, yeah. It could be, or because there's so much coverage. Because there, uh, yeah. so there like was a lot of coverage. One of my girls does more true crime, crime stuff. Mm-hmm. And she likes the stuff. She wants to make people more aware of the crime parts yeah. of it. So she only does like this stuff during mm-hmm. the Halloween, but she tries to do more haunty things. As like, then there's the British lady. So she doesn't typically do this one. The other British girl, she kind of just does all over the board, but well, she hasn't gotten to him yet. I'm not trying to be like any other podcast. Then, so. Yeah. No, no, I know that. I'm just saying <laughs> no, that it's, like, it's weird that, no, the, for that how much we know of content, in this book. That's where I get like when we did the, um, what's his name? Canadian. Koresh. Mm-hmm. Not Koresh. Um, no, you're talking about Rock. Uh, 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 rock uh, Theralt. Theralt. Thank you. Yeah. Um, like that was. My my true yeah. crime people did that. That was my oh, like. Okay. I was like, oh, that's my yeah. This here. guy, he, this so is fun. This is fun. He's, come, he's... come down the 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 rabbit hole of Albert Fish. Yes, with us. ma'am. How could this gray-haired little old man be responsible for such atrocities? He molested more than a hundred children, murdered at least thirty, and if things weren't bad enough, he ate quite a few of them as well. Allegedly. I don't know how much this book embellishes. Mm, he ate him. I mean, but was it 30? I'm not sure. I can't remember the... I, yeah, maybe it did. Hamilton Fish was born on May 10th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. He was the product of a well-respected family, and yet if you delve deep into the archives, you will find that at least seven of his relatives had severe mental disorders, two of them whom died in institutions. When Fish was five years old, his father died and his mother placed him in St. John's Orphanage so that she could go out to work and earn herself a living. It was in the orphanage that things started to go badly for him, and in the records, he was described as a problem child. It is alleged that Fish was abused while he was at the orphanage and was forced to watch other boys doing bad things. 
He persistently tried to run away and was known to wet the bed up until the age of 11. As a child, Fish had a fall from a cherry tree, which caused him a severe head injury, enough to leave him with permanent problems such as headaches and dizzy spells. This is another factor that may explain why he became a crazed cannibal in later life. When he was 15, Fish graduated from public school and started to call himself Albert. He discarded the name Hamilton, which he hated, because classmates used to tease him and call him Ham and Eggs. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. Damn. Oh, you had me get like I was like really serious about mm-hmm. it until you said that. And I'm like, oh, shit. fucking old ham and eggs. <sighs> Albert left the orphanage when he was 18 and started a career as a house painter and decorator, a job which he would keep for the rest of his life. In 1898, he married a woman who was nine years his junior, and together they produced six children. However, in January 1917, his wife ran away with a boarder named John Straub, leaving Albert to look after their children. After a short while, Albert's wife returned still with her lover in tow. Albert agreed to take her back as long as she sent her lover packing, but he later discovered that she had stowed Straub away in the attic, and following a stormy argument, she left with Straub never to return to the marital home. By his own account, Albert committed his first murder in 1910, killing a man in Wilmington, Delaware. But it was Albert's own children who noticed a marked difference in their father's behavior after the departure of their mother. First, he would dance naked in the moonlight, chanting, I am Christ, I am Christ. But what would become even more disturbing were his strange pastimes burning himself with pokers, inserting needles into his groin, and flagellating himself with a nail-studded paddle. A prison x-ray later in his life revealed that he had at least 29 separate needles in his pelvic region, with some of which had eroded over time to mere fragments. Without a wife to satisfy his sexual desires, Albert decided to answer some Lonely Hearts adverts from widows who wanted to remarry. He would reply to their adverts with obscene letters and tell them about how he liked to inflict pain on himself and others. Apparently, Albert stated that he married three women who he met through this form of correspondence. It was in 1928 when Albert Fish's bizarre fascination with pain, both receiving and inflicting, turned towards children. I thought you were going to go on like with when how you said he uh, did the letters. Mm-hmm. I, thought, oh, I, no. I just I I thought to myself is it was before you could you know send pictures or mm-hmm. anything like that. I guess sending dirty dirty letters would be like the equivalent of yeah. un un uh, unwanted dick pics. I, I guess maybe. like replies to that. Like I don't know. You I can guess. sit on my face, ma'am. Like, like oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Albert but, Fish. Yeah. Looked like every child's favorite grandfather, but behind the gentle facade of silver hair and a mustache lurked a monster who preyed on small children. Albert made friends with the Manhattan family by the name of Bud. It wasn't difficult to earn the trust of the family, and he introduced himself as Frank Howard. He soon knew the family well enough to ask them if he could take their 10-year-old daughter Gracie to a birthday party. They agreed and foolishly let their daughter go off with the apparently gentle old man. But instead of a party, 
Albert took the child to an isolated cottage where he strangled her and dismembered her body. When he got back home, he unwrapped a package of Gracie's flesh, which he cooked up in a stock pot with carrots and onions. The stew he made lasted Albert for several days, which left him in a continual state of sexual excitement. That evening, Look, there's the, with uh, no word... Check it out real fast. The uh, oh, x-ray. Shit. You'll have to... Uh, yeah. That and... That evening, with no word from either Mr. Howard or their granddaughter, the Buds went into a state of panic. The following morning, they sent their son Edward to the police station to report his sister's disappearance. The police started a full-scale investigation, and it didn't take long for them to realize that Frank Howard was a fraud. The hunt for Gracie lasted for six years, and the police had almost given up any hope of finding her body or, in fact, any clues as to her disappearance. Two years later, Albert started sending letters to a famous Hollywood producer, offering him large sums of money if he could put him in touch with women who were prepared to indulge in sadomasochistic orgies with fish. The police were called in, and Albert was subsequently confined to a psychiatric hospital. He was kept under constant observation for two months, but was discharged after a report stated that he was not insane but had a psychopathic personality. They did diagnose him with having sexual problems, but they attributed that to dementia and his advancing years. He therefore deemed to be harmless and released into custody of his daughter, Anna. They had him. I feel like he jerked off in front of a lot of people, and they were just like, we just need him gone. On November (laughs) November 11th, 1934, a full six years after the kidnapping of Gracie, the police received a slender clue in the form of an anonymous letter written to the Buds. Compelled to gloat about his crimes, Albert had written the Buds, giving the full gory details of what had happened to their Gracie. The police managed to trace the letter back to the apartment where Albert Fish lived in New York. When they checked the register at the boarding house, they found the signature A.H. Smith to be the same and they knew that they had their man. When they knocked on the door of his room, the police were rather taken aback by his appearance. He was just a harmless-looking, white-haired old man with a rather scruffy mustache. Detective King identified himself and asked Fish if he would accompany him back to police headquarters to answer some questions. Then without warning, this harmless old man put his hand into his pocket, pulled a vicious-looking razor blade out, and lunged at the detective. Luckily, the police managed to overpower the little old man, and once back at the station, Fish openly admitted to his crimes. He particularly relished recounting of how he had cut off his victim's head holding her body over a five-gallon paint drum so as not to lose a single drop of her precious blood. As he talked about drinking the virgin's blood, the investigators were appalled to see how his eyes rolled into his head. They could hardly believe the horror that was coming from the old man's mouth. Fish's confession didn't stop at Gracie. He went on to tell them about 400 child murders that he had committed between 1910 and 1934. Although much of what he told the police in his statements later turned out to be grossly exaggerated or false, he provided them with enough details of his gruesome past to sicken even the hardened investigators. As the police began to build up a portfolio on Fish, 
They weren't really surprised to find out that he had a long criminal record stretching back to 1903 when he had served 16 months in Sing Sing on a grand larceny charge. But what really shocked the police was the fact that he had been arrested six times since the disappearance of Gracie on charges that ran from petty larceny to vagrancy to sending obscene literature through the post. Which I guess that's him sending his mm-hmm. dick pics. Yep, yep. At the trial of Albert Fish, the state was desperate to win a death penalty. Despite his defense of insanity, the jury were not convinced with his plea and faced with his rambling, obscene confessions, they found him both sane and guilty for premeditated murder. Fish was sentenced to die in the electric chair, and he was electrocuted at Sing Sing Prison on January 16, 1936. It took two attempts before he died, because on the first attempt, the machinery short-circuited due to all the needles Fish had planted in his body. Albert Fish, monster extraordinary, was 65, the oldest prisoner ever to be executed at the New York prison. I have a concern. What? You know, I knew, I knew that little fact about his death, right? That they had to basically cook his ass twice. I have a really weird concern now. What? I hope that the first time that they did it, he didn't come. That's fu- I know that's fucked up, but I the hope other he thing didn't. Is did they remove the needles that are inside of his body, or uh-uh. did they leave them be? They let them be. That's why they had to do it twice. It shortened out from those. So that's what I'm saying is if those were being stimulated, he did. Oh man! They, listen, they were in his rectum, his scrotum, oh, like they were all, they were all throughout his organs yeah. down there. And then you have to think he left those in there, so they migrated. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw the x-ray. They went deeper like, and deeper in. Ooh. Yeah, no, that makes sense. They crossed and shit. So Ooh. they only could pin 10 on him, but he refused and only confessed to three. Yes. Yeah. So they could only theoretically try him and convict him for the three. He lived for 10 months before they put him in the electric chair, though. That is fast. 10 mm-hmm. months? Only 10 months? So I will say that the letter that he sent Gracie's parents yeah. does exist. And I know, I was trying to find it. Is readable online. Yes, actually, no, I'm going to I'm gonna read it. Oh, you are going to read it? Okay. I was, I was going to give our audience the option to, uh, I don't know, I guess trigger warning? I'm going to go with trigger warning on this one. Maybe put a time stamp in the description. Yeah, something like that. So just that they just... can skip it, Mark. Just, just... It's not because nah, I'm, I'm not one of them pansies that thinks everybody needs so a fucking trigger warning. No, no but... read it. But when you're editing, make sure you time stamp when it starts yeah. and when it stops. I mean, to I give people the option to not of skipping this to part. It. Just because, listen, I. As a parent. All right, there's I... a trigger warning. If you are uncomfortable with like extremely gruesome things, Stop now. With children. Hold on. Give it about. Specifically let's in say, relation to yeah, a child. Yes. And the image that with this children. letter was written to the child's yeah, mother. Because yes. like, I will say, I've read it. I actually read it in middle school. Like when I first heard about this mm-hmm. guy. And I did find the letter early on and read it. And it was, yeah. So. All right. There so you go. I'm going to start reading this. And I can say how long I guess it was or whatever. My dear Miss Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on a steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China, 
On arriving there, he and his two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At the time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was one to three dollars a pound, so great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under twelve were sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under fourteen was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, is sold as veal cutlets brings the highest price. John stayed there so long that he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven, one eleven. He took them up to his home, stripped them naked, and tied them up in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night, he spanked them and tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, and stewed. The little boy was next, and he went the same way. At the time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street. He told me often how good human flesh was, and I made up my mind to taste it. On June 3, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street and brought you a pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mommy. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take the meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have if I wished. She died a virgin. Which, like, do you believe uh. him is the thing. Like, because that's, okay, that's great. Like, she yes. was tortured a little bit and then died. But, like, oh, yeah, she did. She wasn't sexually assaulted. But, like, is it fucking worse? Is it not worse? Like, as a mother, like, you're enraged regardless. But, like, mm -hmm. thinking about how your fucking daughter died, mm -hmm. do you go, oh, well, thank God she wasn't raped. And I'm yeah. like... At that point, I feel like it's all the fucking same because this naked man is just beating your mm -hmm. little daughter. I mean, I'm sure some of it is embellishment and some of it is probably real. Like, but my That's thing true. is, like, in his mind, like, that was a consolation of, like, hey, yeah. you stole your daughter and beat her to death and then ate her all. But, hey, I didn't put my dick in her. Like. Yep. Dude. Like, bedwetter, brain injury, fucking, of course, terrible upbringing in a fucking orphanage because his goddamn mother. 
couldn't mm-hmm. fucking be a mother. Uh, like, his, his head injury thing reminded me of the dude that um he uh they were working on the Hoover Dam. Yeah. And the guy that had the steel rod mm-hmm. shot through his whole face and head. Oh yeah. And and he and, lived he, though. He, he lived, but he became an asshole. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah so like so brain injuries and people so like becoming of, dicks makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. It's like a really big thing with with like serial killers and stuff. That's why mm-hmm. they study it because there's a good portion that have like the typical like signs of a killer, like the bedwetting, the, the mm-hmm. stuff like that, like the the psychological stuff, and then they're noticing, um, depending on like what age in their youth they ended up with some sort of like significant traumatic injury to their brain. Wondering if mm-hmm. that's like a, yeah, someone lighting the powder keg. Like they're already predisposed to be this certain way because they have that certain, whatchamacallit in their brain. And then they add the traumatic brain injury that just kind of flips that switch mm. and they turn into this psycho. Yeah. Ugh. Albert Fish, ladies and gentlemen. Ew. All right, so this fuck next one. This guy. I'm glad they had to fucking electrocute him twice. I'm not so mm-hmm. happy with my recollection of. Yar, have you ever skipped leg day? Oh, of course. Oh well, I got this lamp for you. Oh, do ya? Well, guess what the lamp does? It makes your legs grow. My legs grow. Yeah, it gives you bigger calves. The bigger more you polish calves. it. I yep. like that. Oh, you should like it. But it's got one downside. What's that? If you polish it too much, your calves will keep growing. Oh, and but, growing. I, but I have to stroke it? You'll have to stroke and it. And polish it. And polish it over and over. over and over, but not over too much. Not too much. It's sensitive. Yes. Oh. You okay. make the white stuff come out of the lamp, oh. and boy, oh boy. Where do I get this at? You got to go to the edging lamp for me calves. Dot com. Oh, is that the only place I can get it? Nope, not available on Amazon. Jeff Bezos doesn't skip leg day. So this guy, they call him the Kobe Cannibal. Like Kobe, like Kobe. K-O-B-E, Kobe. Um, it's Isaiah Sagawa. Um, Isaiah Sagawa is just under five feet tall and considered to be a very intelligent Japanese man. He walks with a limp and many say talks with the voice of a girl. He has never considered himself to be an attractive man and was always very self-conscious of his shortcomings. When he was a child, he had a dream about himself and his brother being boiled alive in a pot to be served up as someone's dinner. It appears that ever since he had that dream, he has fantasized about being a cannibal himself. He had pictures in his mind of eating a large blonde woman with beautiful white skin. He was very attracted to Nordic women, tall and beautiful. In fact, everything that he was not. Good luck finding that in Japan. Mm. Well, well, hold on. Uh. Soon, (laughs) his obsession with tall women was not enough and he decided to turn his fantasy in reality. He was studying for a degree in English literature at Waco University in Tokyo when he became attracted to one of his teachers, a tall German woman. He started to fantasize about eating her, and one summer's day, 
He crawled through her apartment window with the intention of killing her. To his sheer delight, he discovered her asleep, wearing very little clothing. He became very excited and looked around for something to either knock her out or stab her with, when he spotted an umbrella in the corner of the room. Luckily for her, the woman woke up and saw him in her room. She screamed so loudly it frightened the young Isaiah and he fled quickly from her apartment. The sight of this lovely white woman haunted him and he knew that he had to prepare himself better if he were to fulfill his fantasy. He started to make plans and looked around for the next victim. However, it wasn't until he went to Paris several years later in 1981 that he actually found the woman of his dreams. You know, usually when you talk about the woman of your dreams, you're not talking about eating them. It's Issei. 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 Sorry. Issei Sagawa. Sagawa. Issei. Um, Issei could not get 25-year-old Renee Hartvelt out of his mind. He thought she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen with her white skin, her fleshy buttocks, and her beautiful features. When he sat next to her in his class, he knew instinctively that she was the perfect woman for what he wanted to do. This time, he would go more slowly. He knew he had to be really careful if he wanted to succeed. Renee was extremely intelligent and spoke three different languages. She had a very bright future ahead of her. Issei, Issei, Issei approached Issei. her and asked if she would be prepared to teach him German. He told her that his father was wealthy and would pay her for her tuition. And so she agreed. She was impressed by his intelligence and ability to talk knowledgeably about most subjects. Issei started to write her love letters and invited her out to concerts and exhibitions. Before long, he had completely gained her trust and respect, and he invited Renee over to his apartment for a Japanese dinner. After they had eaten... Issei asked Renee to read him his favorite German expressionist poem, and as she spoke, he found that he could not take his eyes off of her. He was totally obsessed. After she left, he could still smell her body where she had sat on the bed sheets reading the poem, and he started to lick the chopsticks and the dishes she had used to eat her meal. With the taste on his lips, his passion heightened, and he knew then and there that he just had to eat her. On the evening of June 11, 1981, he invited her over again for dinner. This time, he asked if he could record her reading his favorite poem, and she agreed. When she arrived, the recorder was already positioned, and he prepared himself to carry out his ultimate fantasy. When Issei had first arrived in Paris, he had bought a 22 caliber rifle, and this he placed beside a chest of drawers. He asked Renee to sit on the floor. Japanese style, so they could partake in the oriental tradition of drinking tea. He poured some whiskey into her tea to make her relax, and while he waited for the alcohol to have its effect, they sat and chatted as two old friends. When he noticed that Renee was starting to relax, he told her that he loved her and that he wanted to take her to bed. She answered by saying that although she found him very good company, she was not sexually attracted to him and only wanted to be his friend. Issei said that he understood and got up from the floor to get the book of poetry. He handed the book to Renee and started a tape recorder so that she could read the poem in her native language. 
As he listened to her perfect German, Issei reached for the rifle that stood behind the Chester drawers. Issei came up behind her and shot her in the back of the head, and her body immediately slumped from her chair onto the floor. He tried to talk to her and seemed a little bemused when she didn't answer. There was blood pouring from the wound in her head, and Issei tried in vain to clear up the ever-increasing pool of blood on the floor. Soon, he realized that there was no point and the silence of death surrounded him. Next, Issei tried to undress her. He found it hard to take the clothes off of a dead body. Finally, when she was laying completely naked, he marveled at the beauty of her body. He had waited so long for this moment, and he couldn't resist touching her amazing white skin. He was desperate to eat her, but didn't really know where to start. He went to the kitchen and got a knife and cut the tip of her left breast off and a piece of her nose and put it in his mouth. Next, he chose her right buttock, but found it difficult to bite into so he stabbed deeper into her skin. He watched with great delight as the fat oozed out of the wound. Underneath the sallow fat, he managed to find the red meat, and he scooped it out of her body and placed it into his mouth. The first thing that he noticed was that it didn't have any real taste or smell, and he later stated that it melts in my mouth like a perfect piece of tuna. Issei thought she was totally delicious and looked into Renee's unseeing eyes and told her so. He was ecstatic. He had her beautiful body all to himself. Then he got down to the real business of carving her body using an electric carving knife. He laid out pieces of her flesh to store for later consumption, while he nibbled pieces of her meat again and again. Next, he took a photograph of her white body with its deep wounds. Then he had sex with her mutilated corpse. He later recalled that as he hugged her, she let out a breath as if she was still alive. And a little frightened, he kissed her and told her how much he loved her. Then, Issei dragged the remains of Renee's body into the bathroom. By this time, he was totally exhausted and decided that he needed more of her flesh to give him strength. He cut into her hip and put the meat in a roasting pan. When it was cooked, he turned on the tape recorder so that he could listen to her reciting the poem and then sat down to enjoy his meal. He was a little disappointed that it didn't seem to have much taste, and so he added some salt and mustard, which he said made it absolutely delicious. Having enjoyed the meal so much, he returned to the bathroom where he cuts off her breast and baked it. Again, he roasts the meat and serves it on a plate. He started to eat it with a knife and fork, but decided it didn't taste so good. It was too greasy. He returned to the body and repeated the exercise with the, a piece of her thighs. The thighs were delicious, and he considered it to be the best meal he had ever tasted. Everybody always talks about the thighs. It's wild. With his appetite now satisfied and feeling totally exhausted, he took what was left of the corpse to his bed where he spent the night. The next morning, he woke and realized that he would have to do something about destroying the evidence. He decided he would take it into the bathroom, finish cutting it up, and then put the pieces into a suitcase and take them to the lake. While he was busy cutting into her calf, he was overwhelmed once again with the desire to eat her flesh. The wonderful taste started to lift his spirits again, and he ate more and more pieces, discarding several pieces that he didn't like the smell of. By now, Issei 
had noticed that there were several flies starting to settle on the corpse, and he decided that the time had come to say goodbye to his beloved Renee. He took a hatchet and chopped the remainder of her body into pieces. He had already bought two suitcases to dispose of the pieces, but as he started to dismember her, he became sexually aroused and used her hand to masturbate himself. Wanting to keep a memento of his experience, he decided to remove her lips and put them and put them by for his later pleasures. <laughs> Nearby, I think it's what it meant. By the time he had finished eating and bagging the remaining pieces of Renee's body, it was midnight of the second day. He locked the suitcases and then called for a cab. He asked the cab to take him to the Boy de Balloon. I'm not even going to try it. Someplace. And then dragged the suitcases into the park, intending to push them into the pond. However, being of small stature, he struggled under the weight of the large suitcases. He got scared when he saw two people watching him, and so he abandoned the cases and ran. The couple were suspicious, and so they went over to have a closer look and were horrified to see a blood-stained hand hanging from the side of one of the cases. They immediately called the police. When the cases were opened, the police were horrified to find the human remains and started the job of trying to find the person who had purchased the suitcase. Meanwhile, Issei had returned to his apartment to enjoy the remaining pieces of Renee Hartvelt that he put in his refrigerator. Each day he ate a little more, and each day he found the pleasure greater and greater and the taste became more sweet and delicious. Mm. This is the part that'll piss you off. Eventually, the suitcases were tra tracked back to Issei, and the authorities obtained a search warrant. When they entered his flat, they found Renee's lips, her left breast, and both buttocks, which Issei had stored in the refrigerator. He was immediately arrested for the murder of Renee Hartvelt. Issei was placed under psychiatric care at the Henry Collin Institute in Villehoff to be assessed for his competency to stand trial. He was studied by three separate psychiatrists and they all agreed that he could never be cured of his cannibalistic fantasies. Authorities considered that the cost of maintaining Sagawa in a French sanatorium for the remainder of his life was too expensive and so they arranged for him to be deported back to his native Japan in 1985. Arriving back in Japan, wait, Sagawa... Wait, wait. I'm sorry, I gotta pause you there. Uh, you said 1985. And when, when did the... What was the year before that? Like when... How long did he... Like, when did he do it? Yeah, when did he do it versus when he went back to Japan? I'm sorry. 81. Is it 81? Was it 81? Uh, it says 81 on that. So he was incarcerated yeah. there for, for like four years. For a good bit. Okay. Yeah. Arriving back in Japan, Sagawa was swarmed by the media who all wanted to meet the famous cannibal in person. He was oh, taken to the Matsuawa. Matsuzawa. He was taken to a hospital in Tokyo where he was diagnosed as being sane and guilty of murder. It was therefore decided that he should be tried and imprisoned for his crime. However, thanks to his very wealthy father, Akira Sagawa, who was the president of Karita Water Industries in Tokyo, Issei was released from the hospital after only 15 months. It seems unbelievable that a man as sick as Issei Sagawa, who after killing a woman and eating her remains, was allowed to walk about freely in society only five years after the crime. 
What is even more absurd was that he was invited to go on television and radio where he freely talked about his crime and seemed to revel in the attention he was receiving. He has appeared in several Japanese pornographic movies and has written four novels. It is very obvious that this sick little man finds all the attention he received very amusing, and yet he still doesn't feel that he did anything wrong. Of course, only time will tell whether Issei will kill again, but would you feel happy with a man like that living in your street? Well, fun fact, Mark, I think Aziza might have for you. I do. So, this sick fuck got to live all happy hunky-dory, right? Mm -hmm. Until he had a stroke in 2013 that left him permanently disabled. Thank God. And then in 2022, he died. Of pneumonia. Good. Like the bitch ass he is. Good. He, that's sick. It's, he's a fucked up, fucked up, fucked up person. But he was never convicted of the actual murder, by the way. Nope. He was convicted of the rape. Because his was father it. was a fucking rich person. So, like, the time he spent in jail was for the rape part. Yep. Not because he killed her. That's wild. Great. Great. It, it makes me angry. Like, all right, so this next one, this is the last one we got. This is the uh, Rottenberg cannibal. And um, it's funny because, like, that, that girl came from Germany, and this next one takes place in Germany. Mm. All right. Germany was gripped by a horror story recently when a man was arrested for killing and then eating a man he met on the internet. Armin Mewes? 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 I don't really give a fuck about his last name. He's a piece of trash. Like, this is funny. Oh no! She's gonna make me look like. Wait, hold on. Let's hear. Armin Moose. 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 Okay, so Mm. Armin Moose. Germany was gripped by a horror story recently when a man was arrested for killing and then eating a man he met on the internet. Armin Muse, Armin Muse, 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 M O O Z is how like you pronounce it. Armin Muse Armin Muse grew up in a large house in a German town near Kassel with a very domineering mother. His father left when he was only eight, and former school friends recall him being publicly ridiculed by his mother. She constantly intruded into his private life, even going as far to accompany him on dates and to troop outings in the early 1980s when he was in the German army. Talk about a helicopter mom. Yeah, for sure. As a young boy, Armin seemed to have no real friends and spent a relatively secluded life being loyal to his mother. He was constantly lonely and would create stories and even invented a make-believe brother called Frankie with whom he said he could have a proper conversation with because he was the only person who listened to him. That's sad, Mm. man. At the age of 19, he joined the army, but still continued to live at home. He had a real problem interacting with other recruits, and even when he did want to bring his friends back to his house, his mother always made it a problem. He was always unsure of his sexuality and constantly questioned himself about what his preferences were. In 1991, he met a group of sailors and was invited to go sailing. This turned out to be his greatest joy. 
He absolutely loved sailing. In the late 80s, his mother became bedridden and totally dependent on her son. So he, when she died in 1999, he was thrown completely off balance and didn't know how to cope without his powerful mother figure. After his mother's death, he left the army and went to work as an engineer and was well respected in the village where he lived. He led an outwardly quiet life and was described by one woman as friendly and sensitive person. He started to frequent a local brothel and started to fabricate stories about his girlfriends when he was drinking at the bar. The house he lived in was a very old-fashioned, rather dilapidated farmhouse, and he decided if he wanted to attract friends back to his house, he would need to do some renovation. He had started to use the internet at home and was getting interested in a lot of cannibal chat sites where he found people that said they would like to be eaten. This had always been a fantasy of his since childhood. He knew he wanted to eat human flesh so that that person could become part of him, just like Frankie. Time out. I don't think that... The wording of that made it sound like motherfucker thought he could go online, research how to update his mm-hmm. house, and then he just stumbled on people that wanted to be Which, yeah. by the way, this is his house. Yeah. Oh. I mean, well, you yeah, got to the send me these suck. pictures. The house does suck. I'll give them that. Yeah. I always forget that there's something going on over here. But how here. do you go from like Lowe's to, oh, yeah, I'd love for somebody to eat me. Like, I don't and know. Here's the chat room I found myself on after I found that information out. Maybe he typed something wrong. <laughs> I mean, He's I looking for cabinets and accidentally typed still. in cannibals. I could believe. Damn autocorrect. Wait, wait, wait. What 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 country is he in? Does do they Germany. have IKEA? Germany, of course they have IKEA. Back then, I, the though, IKEA names, like, IKEA names. I could definitely see IKEA names leading you to oh, cannibal. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yep. this makes sense. All right, we're we're working, we're working with this. Okay. Okay. As he read and talked more with people with like minds on various websites, Armin decided to post an advertisement on the internet under the alias of Frankie, and it read. I search a young boy between 18 and 25 years old. Have you a normal body? I butchering you and eat your horny flesh. Frankie. On the outside. Say horny. It says horny. I don't know. Like maybe he wants them to be horny for like apparently it's some sick fetish to Mm -hmm. be eaten or want to be eaten. I I don't know. I just, I don't know why he had to kill the guy, though. Like, couldn't he have, like, chopped his leg off and made them a roast or something? Why? Oh. I, I mean, either way, I guess it's pretty terrible. This is the guy. Yeah, that's him. Yep. On the outside, the house looked perfectly normal, and Armin made it very presentable on the inside as well, putting in bathrooms upstairs so that he could invite friends to stay and get eaten, I guess. But what no one knew about was the slaughter room he had constructed which contained a large cage. His advertisements and photos on the internet had started to attract attention, and it wasn't long before like-minded psychos wanted to see his slaughter room. His fantasies about killing and devouring someone grew stronger and stronger. He would take his newfound friends to his room, haul them up on a pulley, and then mark their bodies with a marker pen, showing the most choice parts to eat. However, so far his guests had been unwilling to go further. That is, until he was contacted by 
Bernard Jugen Brandes, a 43-year-old microchip engineer from Berlin. Brandes used the name Cater on the internet, and over the next few months, the two of them exchanged numerous explicit emails. Eventually, they arranged to meet, and Brandes made arrangements to come to Armin's house. Before leaving Berlin, Brandes sold his possessions and wiped clean the hard drive on his computer so that it could not be traced. When he eventually met up with Muse at this train station, Muse, when he eventually met up with Muse at this train station, he said, I am your cater, I am your flesh. That evening, March 9, 2001, the two men sat naked drinking coffee. After a while, they climbed the stairs of the rambling old house and went into Moo's bedroom. So as not to experience too much pain, Brandes first swallowed 20 sleeping tablets and drank half a bottle of schnapps. Moo's cut off Brandes' penis with his full agreement and then fried it for both of them to eat for their supper. Like a sausage, like a bratwurst? I wonder if they put it on a bun. Here's the fucking site. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Screen Make sure shot. you're sending me these. By this stage, Brandes was bleeding heavily, and Moose talked him into having a bath whilst he read a Star Trek novel. In the early hours of the morning, Moose finished off his victim by stabbing him in the neck, but not before kissing him first. Next, he chopped up his victim into pieces and put several pieces of him into his freezer, right next to a takeaway pizza. Finally, he buried his skull in his back garden. Over the next few weeks, he defrosted pieces of his friend and cooked the flesh in olive oil and garlic. He managed to consume about 20 kilograms of Brandes's flesh before the police eventually knocked on his door. The police were tipped off by several people who had seen his advertisements on the internet. When they started to search Moo's home, they found neatly packaged body parts in a freezer in the kitchen. Each package was labeled with a specific body part. In the back garden, police found other body parts buried because they were presumed inedible. Moose only admitted to the police that the parts had belonged to Brandes, who he met on the internet, but said that it wasn't murder because Brandes had agreed to be slaughtered. He told police that the two men had enjoyed a final meal together. Brandes had agreed to be castrated and the two sautéed his penis and testicles, which they washed down with a German white wine. Moose also gave the police a videotape he had recorded of the whole procedure. It showed that after the meal, Brandes willingly allowed himself to be hanged from a butcher's hook and slaughtered just as you would a calf. During his trial, Moose testified in his own defense, saying that when he ate the body, he felt that a part of Brandes was inside of him. Investigators on the case discovered that Moose had been in internet contact with more than 200 people who shared his fantasies, while the cannibal himself claimed there were thousands more like him. Armin Moose was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. Moose has said he plans to write his memoirs in order to persuade other people with similar fantasies to seek help before it's too late. Real quick. So, I found a screenshot of the reply. Mm-hmm. Cute 21-year-old. Medium. Says me- medium build. 38, 28, 32. 8-inch uncut cock. 
sexy roastable arse. Love the thought of being eaten. So get your spit pole ready, Frankie, and roast my horny flesh, Carl. Yep. Lovely response. Oh, yeah. All right, Carl. Well, Carl All got right. what he wanted. Carl got what he went on the internet to find. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, oh, boy. I sit there and think to myself... I could use this really rare part or this really weird thing. And some people go on and go, I want to find somebody who wants to eat me. That's cool. Yep. You know, that's wonderful. Like I said, he accidentally typed cannibals instead of cabinets. Yeah. Cabinets. Um, so do you guys have anything else you guys want to add or anything like that? Uh, I know that was a real heavy. Is it weird that I'm hungry? Um, no, I'm hungry too. I haven't eaten all day though. Like I'm, I ate some crackers. It's earlier. so odd. You're gonna go and eat some ham and be like, mm, human. Nah, I'm no. just gonna try to not think about it too much. I will admit, like, not the kid stuff makes me mad. Obviously, we mm-hmm. stated that earlier, but like the whole like textiles of it really doesn't bother me because I watched a human. Uh, be birthed while eating a turkey sandwich. So you watched the water break. That's the listen. It was not like it was a water balloon and some red jello. Okay, <laughs> it was gnarly. It was cool, and I was enjoying the show with my sandwich. It wasn't like somebody wanted me to fucking help clean it up. No, I, I was not prepared for that because I still had a sandwich in my hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> You definitely were prepared for the pushing. Well, we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. Yeah, if we you have a Patreon. Hear more well, you guys better like get on this. your letters, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have. Well, I didn't get an address back. We have a. We new, need an address. We have a ten dollar patron. Thank you, Joe Hood. Who's gonna get a love letter? Who's gonna get a love letter from us as soon as I get his address? I'll check the spelling yes. and grammar unless you want it. Just nah, all natural. Oh, I'm good at spelling and grammar. Nick, maybe. I prefer typing K O. Are you gonna use crayon a lot? K O K cock. There we. Wow, he can Ooh. see. <laughs> I know how to read. Yay! Well, we all know I can read. I just Here's read that a fucking water room by the way. Huge fucking book. Room. Oh, uh, it looks uh, like a uh, pig uh. pen. And then oh, here's yeah. the bathtub. Where he make sure you're sending me these. Let's pictures. be honest. Hold on. Oh, I scroll did. I up. Downloaded. Scroll up. These ones. Yeah, a little more. This that one. right there. That looks like you my knew old room. three people that that was their bedroom. Yeah, that was my bedroom mm-hmm. at one point. Oh, absolutely. Oh man. I don't even want to know that room. And then like yep. so, the rest of the house uh-huh. was just cluttered with his so was, mother's shit. So it was just a like a a hoarder house. Yeah. So I wouldn't even call it. No, nah, I wouldn't call it a hoarder house. Hold on, it just looked like he she died and he did so touch this is a pretty shit. decent sized house. Yeah, like pretty, pretty big house in yeah. Germany. Like that's a really big house yeah. for two people. So here's someone he's younger. Yeah, he looks like he need the shit smacked out of him. And then here's his mother and him. Mm -hmm. But I mean, technically it was consensual. So that brings the question: like, if you give consent to die. There's no like, so it's cons- it's assisted suicide or yeah. something. It is a separate charge, and I think there's only one country that doesn't convict. Like they, it has that that is allowed, mm-hmm. but there's like heavy stipulations. On yeah, it. on how yeah. the victim can die. Yeah, like there's. But if you want to just be 
killed in a yeah. brutal way, you should be able to, right? And then if you make that decision, no, no, because it's just that, you that's what a lot of people disagree with. Yeah. I mean, that's yourself. fair. Yeah, no, you are True. so harsh. Jeez, be, am I wrong? I mean, am I ain't trying to kill myself, so. Well, I'm just saying, like. Yeah, no. So, but I think that it's like a in a court of law, there's there's like debates. That's why he only got yeah the time that he got based on the whole thing. All right. But. Well, we all learned something today. I don't. We probably lost listeners after this one. Nah, this is the cannibal episode. Fucked, man. I, I mean, what if they're expecting us to talk about movies and like, bam. Like, Wait, hold let's on. We eat can some people. We can talk about movies. No, for, we for need to get second. going because we're already like an hour and a half. Wait, I got one. Watch Cannibal Holocaust. Just no. watch you it. Keep saying Don't listen. That. Nobody just watch wants Cannibal to, Nick. Holocaust. Nobody just do wants it. to. Trust Sorry. me. After this Nobody episode, if you wants en- to. straight up, if you enjoyed this episode, watch the movie. It's Trust like me. the Don't 70s, do it. 80s, D quality. It's not D quality. It's got these people got in so much fucking trouble. It was real shit. They had he had to prove that certain people were still Don't alive and stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, watch Cannibal Don't Holocaust. Quit looking at all the fucking YouTube videos Don't to do tell it. you, oh, it's this the band movie, blah blah blah. Watch Cannibal Don't do Holocaust. It. Just watch it one time. That's all you gotta do is watch it one time. <sighs> Don't do one it. One time and then you did it. Well, this is Mark. And this is Nick. And I'm Z. And, and this, this is, is the Guns, Guns and Gory Podcast. podcast. Uh. <sighs> well, hello. This is Z, and you guys have been listening to the Guns and Gory podcast. Written and produced by Mark Hodge and Nick Parrish. Audio engineering by Mark Hodge. Recorded in Fatboy Studios via Sir Nikki's Love Castle. Media manager is me, Z. We'd like to thank all of our friends and family for the amazing support and all of you awesome people listening in. Please join our Patreon for fun extras and behind the scenes with the guys. You can find us at patreon.com slash gunsandgory. That is guns, A-N-D-G-O-R-Y. You can also find us on the Facebook, Instagram, and the YouTube at Guns and Gory. Thank you so much for listening, and please comment, like, share, subscribe, have a few carrier pigeons. We'll take them all.